Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means, and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. I'm Gage Jordan, assistant pastor of Youth and Families at First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Gage, good to be back with you uh, this week as we are talking through uh, seeing Christ in the Old Testament, something something we have said uh, since this podcast began, that the whole Bible is about Jesus. Uh, but this uh, podcast, this series, uh, forces us to put our money where our mouth is and uh, show uh, exactly how we mean that. How can we read uh, the the Old Testament with uh, through a Christological view? How are we to understand what's going on and its and its importance for us? How does why does this stuff this old ancient Israel stuff why does it matter for me today? How does it help me understand the gospel more? And so we've we've talked about Genesis, we've talked about Exodus, we've talked about Leviticus, and now we are to the book of Numbers. Gage, kick us off and talk to us how we ought to understand uh, the book of Numbers, because not only do, do people not know how to understand it, they just plain don't understand it. It's not it's not it's not as though most of us come to the book of Numbers with a bad understanding or one that's a little off. It's just, I think most of us, if we're honest, we would say, I don't know anything about what's going on there. I just skip it. Well, and I would say even before we get into the, the book of Numbers specifically, going back to your, what we call a Christocentric or Christ-centered view of reading the scriptures, um, part of the reason why that matters is because if you don't read the scriptures through this filter of I'm looking for Jesus. I'm trying to see the crimson thread of the history of redemption and understand how the pieces flow together in this plan, in this story, in this unfolding of grace uh, that God is doing throughout the history of time. You'll be forced to have to try to use a different hermeneutic, a different way in which you're interpreting the Bible. And, and I run into this all the time as a pastor among Christians, right? You're either going to run into the hermeneutic that's going to force you to try to think that every passage is about you. Like what, what is the little nugget that I have to take away in order, order to figure this out? Which is why when you get to numbers, you're like, well, there's no nuggets for me. I don't really understand this book, or you're going to have, you'll read it in light of current events, right? As if you need to have your news feed app yeah, open right. at the same time that you read your Bible. And when you can't put the pieces together, you either have to do origami with the text and make it do things that it's not actually doing, you know, um, helicopters, you know, or the locust, the locust and revelation or whatever. Right. Um, or you think to yourself, well, maybe like maybe maybe this book isn't supposed to be in the Bible. Maybe there's there's some con, you know, some weird weirdness here. Or maybe this doesn't matter because that was Israel and this is now. Mm-hmm. Like you do all sorts of weird things because it's not matching up with your newspaper, right? And so 
that's why this matters so much. So when we get into a book that's more difficult to understand because we're so far removed, because the cultures are so different, uh, because the lenses by which we process things are so different, um, again, it's imperative that we ask the question, where's Jesus? And so I want to just, I want to touch on a few chapters that I think are um, super helpful in helping us kind of see those things. And then I, I want us to ultimately get us right to Jesus through the book of Numbers. So the, the first thing, Scott, that I think is, is super helpful, chapter nine uh, deals with the celebration of the Passover. Now, we've already seen the introduction of the Passover in Exodus. So this right. isn't something brand new. We, and we talked about that on our episode with Exodus. But the, the thing that's significant here, Scott, and you talk about this all, all the time, so I, I love your, your feedback here. The thing that's significant is when you get into um, what's going on. There were some guys there in chapter nine that apparently somehow for some reason had touched a, a dead body. I don't know, war as, or, or whatever. They're, they've interacted with the dead body, which means they were ceremonially unclean. And so they're asking Moses, like, can we celebrate the Passover? Because I thought if you're ceremonially unclean, you weren't supposed to celebrate the feast. And the Lord, Moses goes to the Lord and the Lord actually says, yes, the unclean should still take the Passover. It's actually the clean who forget to or neglect to take the Passover who are going to be cut off from the land. And I think that's huge because that goes back to our conversation about, and and, and I want to hear your feedback here about this idea of treating the Lord's supper like a cookie for, for good behavior. Yeah, that is so often what we run into with people when it comes to the Lord's table, which obviously what what is the Lord's table? It, it it's it's our Passover. It's a it's it's what Jesus has transformed the Passover meal and fulfilled it to be. What we will so often think is I've been a little extra sinful this week, so mm-hmm. I better not take the supper, mm-hmm. which turns the supper into a cookie for good behavior. Yeah. It's it's because I'm unclean that I need this yes. to say the, uh, to say people who don't have it all together shouldn't partake is like saying people who are not completely well should never go to the hospital, should never go to right. the doctor. You shouldn't go Correct. eat it or you shouldn't go to a restaurant, sit down and get out a menu unless your belly is full. It makes no sense whatsoever. We, you have to take, you have to take what that meal is and turn it on its head for that to make sense. And it's an evidence of how backwards we are about how we think about the sacraments. Absolutely. And so I, I think about what our good buddy Kevin Hale says all the time when he's uh, administering the supper. He says, don't let the failure, your failures in the Christian life or the weakness, weakness of your faith keep you from this table, for this table was given to you because of your failures and because of your weakness. And I think that is, that is huge uh, for us to understand because we will take the passage in 1 Corinthians of, of examining ourselves and think we've got to have some sort of penance before we can come, come to the table. We've got to clean ourselves up or pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. I had the privilege the other day of being able to administer, administer sacraments at um, 
one of our sister churches in Troy, Tennessee. And one of the things I talked about was the parable of the prodigal son here. Um, because in the parable of the prodigal son, the prodigal son is, is rehearsing this speech he's going to give to his dad to try to get back on his good side so that he can be a servant. And as he does that, he can't even get the sentence out before the father's like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Go get the fatted calf, go get him new clothes, go get him a ring. Like he just cuts him off. Why? Because us coming to the table, us coming to the Passover, we are all unclean. We're all sinners desperately in need of a savior. And we need to be told like it, like the father to the prodigal son. Now skip your speech. That's going to try to get you in my good graces. I know who you are and I love you anyway. And I think that that's what we see even, even in, in numbers nine that they're going, okay, we know we're unclean. I guess that means we should, we shouldn't come to the table. And, and the Lord's like, no, absolutely. It's it not. It's actually those who think they're clean and think they don't really need it. They get cut off in the land. And the recognition that we're unclean is something that's given to us by God, right? The, 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 mm-hmm. the, he's the one who helps us see our uncleanness. The, 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 the fear and trembling with which we would see our uncleanness and say, I'm unclean is, is exactly what we need. We need to recognize our uncleanness because you know what? There's no such thing as people who are not unclean. <laughs> there's people who are unclean right. and recognize it, and there's people right. who are unclean and think they're not. So it's so a little, little uh, down the road in the narrative. Chapter 14, you see these people are stiff-necked. These people are um, hard-headed. They're um, just rebellious just like we are right they they complain all the time they, they're frustrated all the time they they rebel at the beginning of chapter 14 and we see something pretty pretty special here verse 13 moses said to the lord then the egyptians will hear he's interceding on, on behalf of the people and he says the egyptians will hear of it that you brought up this people in your might from among them and they will tell the inhabitants of this land they have heard about you O lord are you in the midst of the people for you, O Lord, have seen are seen face to face and your cloud stands over them and you will go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations will have heard of your fame and will say it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people out of the land that he swore to give them that he has killed them in the wilderness. Now, please let the power the Lord be great as you have promised saying the Lord is slow to anger and iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity on the father of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. That is first John chapter two all day long. That's right. I'm, I'm writing these things to you my children so that you may not sin but if you do sin we have an advocate in jesus christ the righteous moses is 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 being a picture of jesus in this moment absolutely he's serving as an intercessor going between the people and god and this is the this is where keller's language is so helpful jesus is the truer and better moses who leads us out of slavery who leads us through the wilderness who intercedes for us uh jesus is Jesus is whom Moses was always about. 
Yes. Um, listen, when when we begin to understand the gospel well, and we begin to we start with the fact that that the Old Testament is about Jesus. When you start with that understanding, because Jesus tells you that, then you can read these Old Testament passages and these gospel themes of intercession, of redemption, of a substitute, uh, of sacrifice. They jump off of the page at you, and you and you begin to see why the the New Testament writers couldn't string a sentence together about Jesus without going to the Old Testament. That's right. And, and that's, that's why when Jesus is interacting with the, the scribes and, and, the, and dealing with you know, their authority on, on Moses, he tells them, hey, you put all your hope on Moses. Moses was looking towards me. Like, if you don't understand that, then you don't understand anything. And so it leads us into chapter 19, chapter 19 in Numbers. Uh, once again, the people can't seem to get it together. There's a hint there. Mm-hmm. We're, ne- we're never going to get it together. And so they can't get it together. And finally, there's these snakes that show up and they start biting the people. And the, they're so venomous that the people are dropping dead as, as they're getting uh, bitten. And um, as that happens, in uh, in what's what's going on there, there's a bronze serpent that's put together. Correct. And and as the bronze serpent is lifted up, every time that these people look at this bronze serpent, they are. Actually, I said 19. It's actually 21. It's 21, yeah. Yeah, chapter 21. As the Moses lifts up the bronze serpent and the people are looking at the bronze serpent, they are healed from the venom of the snake that is biting them. And you think, well, that's a weird story until you get to John chapter three. And that's John exactly chapter, right. Yeah, let me sh- John chapter, go ahead. Let me, yeah, let me share that because you know we all know uh, John three. When I when I when you hear Gage and I just say John three, your mind immediately goes to John chapter three. Uh, 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 verse 16, right? Do you think of John three sixteen? for God so loved the world? But uh, if we just back up just a couple of verses before that, so we all know for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but it, that in the order that the world might be saved through him. How? Almost all of our listeners know that verse and know that well. But what does John need to do to what does John need to do to set people up for that? Because what is the first word? Everybody in all the translations, what's the first word of John three sixteen? It's the word for or because. And so there's a it's the second half in one sense of a clause. So what was John talking about? Well, he's talking about the book of Numbers. In 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 Numbers in in uh, here's what he says, John 3:14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's and and then 
And then he restates that same thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In other words, John is saying that is about this. He's connecting the dots. This is what the New Testament writers always do is they take a, a, a fact about the Old Testament redemptive history that the people know and they tie a string around it and they draw a straight line to Jesus over and over and over. Yeah, absolutely. And so that gives you just a few hints. But the, the biggest thing, the thing that that trips people up in numbers um, is this continual lineage, these continual numbers. That's why the book's called Numbers, right? Right. Um, there's all these these lists of tribes and these lists of people and these lists of families. And you get lost in the lineage um, and um, don't know what's going on there. But that's the way that the book begins in chapter one. And again, you see the mention of a lineage in the, in the second census of the new generation. What new generation is, is he talking about? Well, um, earlier uh, in the book, there in Numbers 13, he sends spies into the land um, to in the, to the land of Canaan to to kind of get a sense of what the land's like, get a sense of the armies that they're going to have to fight, get a sense of what's going on. And one of the the spies, you know, they send send Joshua and they send Caleb and they send um, several other spies. Well, Joshua and the Caleb come back and they're the only ones that are like, hey, the Lord's going to give us the land. We believe His promises. This is going to go well for us. The rest of them are like. Absolutely not. We're totally out. And what we find out in Hebrews 4 is that entire generation of people who didn't believe the Lord's promises didn't enter into his rest and they died there in the wilderness. So there's there's a second census in 26 after the original census in chapter one. What does a census, because we remember we have one of those in America every, what? what ten, uh, ten, years, ten years. Ten years, I think. Yeah. What's that got to do with the scriptures, right? We just thought that was an annoying postcard that the government kept threatening uh, penalty for if we didn't fill out, right? What's actually going on there? Well, it matters to the family of God, because how does Matthew's gospel begin? Matthew's gospel begins with a lineage. It begins with a, a census, a genealogy. Um, and in that genealogy, it connects Abraham to David, David to Jesus. And you see in that lineage, all sorts of stories. You see the stories of the women that are involved there. Tamar, Bathsheba, Ruth, Rahab, Mary, all of them coming from, let's just be honest, really suspect backgrounds, really dysfunctional families, really super really, shady. Yes. Yeah, scandalous stories of of sexual immorality and, and, and death and murder and, and all, all sorts of other things uh, and, and assumed uh, pregnancy out of wedlock and, and the like, because the Lord wants you to see that despite the brokenness, the truth of Isaiah 61, three is true, that he will pull beauty from ashes, that, that he is going to take, even the dysfunction, even the brokenness, even the rebellion that you see all throughout the book of Numbers, and he's going to work all things together for his good. And we see that even in the genealogies. You see it in again in Luke 3. In Luke 3, 
uh, Luke's point of using using the the genealogy isn't to to connect you from Abraham to David to Jesus to show that he's the true Messiah. Here he connects you from Joseph to Adam and includes Joseph being Jesus's uh, dad. That in that moment Jesus is the true and better Adam. Yeah, there really uh, Gage. There really are so many things that happen in the Book of Numbers that the that the New Testament writers appeal to. Uh, first and foremost, just the Israel's time in the wilderness is is a picture of Jesus and his temptation in the wilderness. That's what that's what's going on in in Matthew mm-hmm. chapter four. Mm-hmm. Is that Jesus uh, Israel um, Israel was fed in the wilderness and still couldn't pass the test. Jesus goes into the wilderness for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. Um, and he has none of what Israel had. Um, so that's that, that, the, the Christ's temptation in the wilderness, um, is, is pictured here. Um, the, the typology of the red heifer in 19, in, in numbers 19 is, uh, finds its fulfillment, fulfillment in, uh, Hebrews nine, where it says, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. And it makes the tie to Christ, the rock that provided water in numbers chapter 20. Um, yes. we get to that, uh, Paul in, in, in first Corinthians chapter 10 says, and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And what was that rock? He says, and the rock was Christ. Christ is the rock they're drinking from in the wilderness. This We talked about the serpent being raised up. I think there are so many of these, there are so many of these uh, occurrences that we know, uh, because we know our New Testament better than our Old Testament, uh, there are so many of these things when I mention the the drinking from the rock when i mentioned the red heifer when i mentioned the wilderness temptation we know of those but we typically know of them only because we've heard the new testament make a reference to them um and what what we want our hearers to go is this is all from this book of numbers with that we that we skip over that we ignore that's where this is coming from absolutely and you mentioned the rock it's also in numbers where Moses ends up striking the rock instead of touching it. If he t- touched it the first time. Right. And, and that's the reason that Moses doesn't enter into the promised land. Well, what's happening there. The Lord's driving the point home, even to Moses, even the leader that, Hey, when you try to go your own way, when you try to, to do things that seem right in your own eyes, this is going to go poorly for you. This right. is this is not going to end well. You're you're not trusting on your own provision. You're or, or you're not trusting on my provision. You're trusting on your own strength. You're on, on your ability to try try to get this done. And you're absolutely right. It, it, one one more um, thought as we we get ready to bring this to a close. We've mentioned this before, but just as a reminder, when in Acts, the passage that everybody loves, when it talks about they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is what the apostles were telling them. They they didn't have the New Testament yet. They had the Old Testament, and they were unfolding grace book by book. And that's what we hope hope we're doing here. Yeah, go read read the the speech that Stephen gives at his stoning. It is a a long summary of redemptive history. He goes through... 
he he takes them through the entire Old Testament in his in his uh, in the talk he gives right before he is stoned to death. Absolutely. Well, we hope this was helpful. We hope you uh, understand the Book of Numbers better. And this encourages you to go and read, read the Old Testament. If you have any questions about anything uh, that we brought up today or something that you didn't quite see, you're like, I, I, I see that you guys see that, but I don't see that. Can you help me? Be sure and reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And you can always email us at contact at assuranceofpardon.com. And until next time, this is Assurance of Pardon. God bless. God bless.